Welcome to NextCast, a podcast about teaching and learning at Humber College. I'm Nathan Whitlock, a professor at Humber College and an editor-at-large at Humber Press. On NextCast, we talk to some of the faculty and staff who are leading innovation at Humber, both inside and outside the classroom. As you may remember, the first episode of this season was a collection of great teaching tips from Humber faculty, staff, and students. So, to mark the beginning of the winter semester, we thought we'd put together another collection of teaching tips, this time aimed not so much at professors who are new to the classroom, but also at those who have had years, perhaps even decades, of experience. We hope you find these useful. Special thanks to Sharantha Bedigay, Sarah Feldblum, Dan Rowe, Arun Donota, Kristen Valois, Christine Zuppo, Alex Evans, Alexa Castellan, Daniel Baer, Rania Khan, Cheryl Mitchell, Laura Page, Leanne Mellick, Jessica Freetag, Jennifer Winfield, and Matt Raymer. One tip that I would have for teachers who have been teaching for a significant amount of time is to look at the types of examples that you use in your classes if they involve case studies or something that is relatively recent, and just look at them for currency. One of the most impactful things that I've ever experienced as a student is when a teacher brought in examples from real world uh, things that were happening in, in their lives or in their professions that were recent, that were current, that were in the news, that were things that had value now. And sometimes when we've been teaching a course or a subject for a long time, we might rely on things that we've been doing for 10 years or 15 years or 20 years. But I think it's good periodically to look back on those case studies and real world examples and just ask yourself if those things are still current now and whether those things need to be updated. And if so, I think it's gonna have real value for your students. One thing that I have realized about myself as a teacher, and I imagine this probably applies to lots of uh, folks, is that I'm a better teacher when I'm also a student in some role because it helps me stay connected to what it feels like to be a student, what it feels like to learn, what it feels like to be um, not the person in charge of the space, all this kind of stuff. So uh, one thing that I've been incorporating into my teaching practice is I regularly will ask other professors if I can go and sit in their classroom. And I sit there and often these are in classes that I teach. So I'll, I'll often observe people in a 100 or 200 classroom. And even though I teach those classes, every time I'm in somebody else's classroom, I'm really learning the material. And even though it's material that's for um you know, folks who are just coming to language, um, um, you know, with less experience than myself. Um, I also work as a professional writer. Um, it's still hugely transformational for me, like both just in terms of my general <laughs> knowledge and also in terms of what I understand about uh, what it means to be sitting in that seat. So I really recommend that everyone try and do that as much as possible because it's a way to feel much more connected to your work. When I'm teaching either, especially first years and, and final year students, fourth years in the degrees, I tell them stories about things, uh, about how I was feeling at the sort of moment they were at when they were an undergrad. Um, because I think they, I, they, there's a sense of um, nervousness. Like I have a bunch of students this year who are in like, they're four weeks away from graduation and they're sort of like, why do I care about this breath elective? And, but they're also incredibly nervous about whatever it is they're going to do next. And so I just, before class started, I could sense this kind of weird malaise and I was just kind of like, 
are you guys feeling this way? And as I sort of described it, thinking back, you know, 20-ish years to like how I felt at that same moment, they were like all sort of nodding their head. And I think just like kind of acknowledging what they're, what they, some of them, not all obviously, but might be thinking about and that it's a common experience, even if they're not talking about it amongst uh, themselves, um, can be helpful. And it helps, I think, too, uh, for me, at least when thinking about, extensions and you know their own sort of concerns you know to to just remember uh what it was like when you were in their spot do something that people will remember and i say that because if they can remember that five seconds in that classroom with you whatever that moment was it'll, it'll remind them that they can also do something completely different i would say don't be afraid to share with students uh, your own mistakes your own failures uh, in in your chosen field but your personal examples so i i would think you know th- throw away the timelines like throw away the due dates throw away um that whole stress that comes ar- around learning i don't think we need that I think that we could create projects and assignments with students' abilities and capabilities and ours that don't stress them out. I'd say involve students more collaboratively, um, kind of letting them guide their own teaching and so involving them in discussions and having students share their own opinions so that they're comfortable sharing their opinions and they don't feel like if they share something, it's going to be rejected or turned down. I would say to like create assignments that invoke passion in your students because students are going to do their best work when they care about what they're learning about and what they're doing. So when your assignments that when the assignments that you create uh, make your students proud of what they've accomplished, those are the kind of assignments you want to implement. My tip would be use voice feedback. Uh, it's one of the greatest things that I've found as a teacher. So often people you know, say, I love teaching, I hate grading. And I think that's because we want to provide good feedback to our students, you know, we're, we're not just grading them, we're assessing them. And they need to know what that assessment is so that they can improve and move forward. And voice feedback allows you to do that because within about three to five minutes of audio, and you can do this on Turnitin, they've got a voice feature, I think Blackboard has a voice feature, you can just record it on your phone and email it to the student. Whatever it is, you know, you can get out a lot of material very quickly and give a thorough feedback to them in a way that really connects. The research shows that audio feedback resonates much better with students. And it's because, you know, it, it is a one-sided conversation, but it's a conversation. And so I always tell students at the beginning of the term, you can get happy Daniel, who's like, oh, you know, I'm so glad that you did this paper like this. I was really insightful. I really enjoyed that. Or you can get angry dad Daniel, who is going to come through your computer speakers and say something like, well, I'm not really sure you read the instructions before doing this. And, you know, students, they resonate with that. And They've told me that they they take their laptops to their family and they'll play the feedback and say, listen, listen to what my professor says about me. And uh, it works quite well. And I think even beyond the quality of the assessment, it saves you time. You can speak 200 words a minute, no problem. But think about writing 600 words, right? Three-minute audio feedback, incredibly thorough, detailed. You can really go over a lot. You try writing 600 words, that's going to take you forever. And you now do that with a class of 60 students. And if you've got four classes that size, you're never going to be able to do that. So it allows that really good quality feedback while also not, you know, taking 30 hours or 40 hours to do. So for a faculty who's been teaching for more than a few years, one thing that I would have them consider 
is engaging in something called a, a, um, teaching squares. Um, so again, finding out if there's opportunities to learn from other faculty around them. So talking to faculty about the opportunity of, of collaborating in terms of observations. So asking if there are um, three other faculty who might be interested in um, observing each other's classrooms, learning from one another, go into those observations with an open mind, considering your own teaching pedagogy, your own teaching style, what you're doing, what's working for you, what maybe you're having challenges with, and then really taking this as an opportunity to learn from your colleagues and saying, you know what, I've been doing this this way for a few years, now I want to change things up a little bit, and again, I can learn from my colleagues and, and really have a very um, productive um, and hopefully collaborative conversation post-observation to find out um, what's working, um, what might I be able to tweak in my own classroom, and gaining some insight into um, the, the teaching profession and what other people are doing. Change it up every once in a while. So don't keep doing the same learning activities over and over again because, I mean, it's easy. We get into a routine, uh, but changing it up not only changes it up for the students within the classroom, but yourself. It keeps things fresh and, and keeps things going, and, and, and then you can really see your passion coming out there. So I would say use a variety of learning activities in the different classes that you teach. A lot of us have heard the funny term, the sage on the stage. So the professor at the front who has all the answers and we're kind of handing them over to the students and they write them down and then they give them back to us on a test as random trivia. <laughs> and I really want to, in all of the classes I run, to focus on the importance of what I kind of talk about as collective cognitive responsibility. So I have a bit of the responsibility for the learning and the students have a bit of the responsibility. So what that means is that we both share the burden for building competency, but it's kind of more than that. It also means that I have to leave space for their contributions in class. I can't barrel in with my lecture completely perfectly planned and regardless of what the students come up with, keep steering them back in the direction of, well, you know, my next slide had this, so I guess we have to go back to that. Um, I literally tell them around you know, the first or second class that I see a lecture, because I teach in more of the social science area, I see a lecture as a living, breathing creature, a sort of choose your own adventure, something that can change direction if someone brings up a more interesting point than I had, or, or if the conversation gets really good, we may go off in a different direction. So some of the tangible things I do are leave lots of blanks on slides and we fill them in together. And that helps the students to kind of get experience for what they're going to be doing out in the so-called real world. They're going to be trading in the knowledge economy. You hear people talking about these days, buying and trading in the world of ideas, which ideas are good, which ideas can be improved upon, which ideas maybe they hold too closely. Um, can they put themselves in other people's shoes? And we really need the classroom to model that sort of training and ideas that they're going to be doing. A tip that I love, and I've recently started doing this pretty much across the board, is to have students self-evaluate their work before they hand it in. So something I've always done is hand out a rubric to students when I give an assignment. So I say, here, this is how I'm going to grade you. Make sure you look at the rubric. We look at it in class together, and then I say, make sure you look at it before you hand in your work. But I, I don't think they're doing that. So recently, I started saying, I want you to literally use the rubric, put check marks, give yourself a grade, use it the way I'll use it, and hand it in 
with your assignment and I will take your grade that you give yourself into consideration when I grade you and I actually do so I do the grading but let's say I'm on the fence about something like should they get a four out of five or a three and a half out of five on one section I'll look at what they gave themselves and if I'm really not sure and they gave themselves a four I'll give themselves I'll give them a four if they gave themselves a three and a half I'll give I'll give them a three and a half and um, you'd be surprised at first I thought students would kind of gloss over it or just give themselves perfect but a lot of them actually take the time to really evaluate themselves and think critically about their work and I've noticed it gets them to do better on their assignments not because I'm raising their grades but because they might notice when they go through that process that they need to go back and change something in order to give themselves a higher grade so I really love doing that so one teaching tip that I would offer someone who has a decade or more of experience would be to make use of the resources that Humber has available. I mean, there's so many workshops and other um, great offerings going on all of the time. And sometimes we get stuck in our pattern of just, you know, teach and mark and teach and mark. And uh, we work in silos a little bit. But if you can make a little bit of time every once in a while to uh, attend a workshop or something like that and reach out and interact with other people from other faculties. Um, I've been to some workshops from the CTL and they've been fantastic in terms of just refreshing your refreshing your ideas for your practice um, with the people who run the workshops as well as other faculties. Try something new, especially if it's starting to feel a bit stale in the classroom. Um, and a good way is to really look at some of the TIFF research that has been done here, because this is research that's done by, by teachers, for teachers, and there's some really great tips to follow. I'm not really sure that I'm a, a great person to uh, be offering advice, but uh, I would say that uh, for me, I think it's really important uh, to keep in mind that no matter how many times uh, I've taught a subject or a course, that this is the first time that the students are experiencing this content or this course. Uh, and so for me, the enthusiasm and the energy that I bring the eighth time or the twelfth, the twentieth time that I teach this course uh, needs to be kind of at the same level as what I brought the first time that I taught. This episode of NextCast was produced by Kristen Valois for Humber Press. To listen to previous episodes of NextCast and to read issues of the magazine, go to humberpress.com. You can also find free, downloadable transcripts of every NextCast episode at humberpress.com. To suggest stories for future episodes of NextCast or to just let us know what you think, email humberpress at humber.ca. That's humberpress, all one word, at humber.ca. Thanks and see you next time. That's still not a pun. I like that one. I mean, we can leave it out or put it in if you want. Go ahead. I'm. I've got a union. <laughs> <laughs>